Welcome back to another Box Box WSL. Rather, this time it's Box Box Olympics. Um, it's been a while. It's been what, like two, three months? Uh, I think May was the last time we recorded, obviously, at the end of the WSL season. Um, but I'm glad, we're glad that we're back. I'm Alexi Baceta, your host, as always. And I'm joined by the usual um, Jesse Parker Humphreys and Abdul Abdullah. How are you two? Right. Happy to be back. Yeah, good to be back. It's been a while, so get, get a nice little warm up for the season starts. Abdul, I forgot how to plug in his mic, um, so that's that's how long we've been away. Um, but yeah, a, a bit has happened since last time we recorded um, after the the finish of the WCL in May. Um, for starters, yes, Abdullah's book uh, finally got released, so that's a, a big thing on the podcast. Abdullah, do you want to tell the listeners a bit more about your book and and how to get it? Yeah, so I guess a uh, mini milestone for the group here. The book's out, uh, came out middle of June. It's been, it's good. Obviously, it's, if those of you that don't know, it's on the Lyon women's team and, and their kind of decade of domination, you know, and what they've been doing and, and tactically and and otherwise off the pitch, you know, how it's been going. Um, yeah, it's good. You can get it kind of on, on Amazon UK book depository if you're international listener and uh pretty much anywhere in the uk and any good bookshops in the uk so uh it's been good and uh, i hope the ones that have bought it and read it have, have enjoyed it what's what's considered a good bookshop in the uk <laughs> i see this and that's just a line that i've picked up from from twitter because everyone that releases a book says that line so i'm just following the uh i'm just following the trend <laughs> the key is any bookshop that stocks the book must be good there and anyone go. that doesn't must be bad there you go that's there fair. you go i'll take that i'll take all that. right i'm gonna go into into town later today and check waterstones and see if my bookshop's any they good or not. Have, they do have it. Actually, they do have it. Mind you, I'm in the middle of nowhere, so who knows? Yeah. <laughs> and Jesse, has Chelsea pissed you off yet? Uh, I try and pay as little <laughs> attention as possible to uh, Silly Season because I find um, everything flies around, all the rumours, and by the time the season starts, you've forgotten about it all and it's a lot more fun. Have you forgotten about the new kit? No, unfortunately, because now um, the men's preseason has started. I've had to look at it again. So it's, it's as ugly as it was in the Champions League final. That's fair enough. Um, but yes, today we are talking about women's football at the Olympics. That starts on Wednesday, July 21st, with the first match of the tournament being Team GB versus Chile. Again, um, Chelsea versus Barcelona happening again here, maybe. Um, we'll go group Chile 4-0 four nil, four nil win, is that what you're predicting? Yeah. Yeah, first half an hour, um, we're going to have 4-0 and, and Team GB are just not going to be able to come back from that because obviously um, Ellen White is not going to be able to score against Christian and Ler. I'm saying it now. <laughs> um, but well, uh, how these, this preview is kind of going to work, we're going to go group, group by group, give general uh, predictions, um, kind of talk about standout players, who to watch. Uh, obviously, managers and tactics are kind of our, our specialty. Um, so we'll definitely go into that and, and kind of, we haven't talked about this since, we haven't really spoken on uh, on a video since May. 
Um, so do expect a bit of conversation because we haven't really expressed our opinions about anything to each other so far. Um, maybe we'll have a little little fallout after this. Who knows? I'm kidding. I'm kidding. It's not going to happen. We're going to keep going. Um, but at the end, we'll also give our, our predictions for medalist. Um, but just a reminder of how this Olympic tournament works, because it kind of plays a, into our predictions. The top two teams of each group will automatically go through to the quarterfinals. And then the best two, two of the best third place teams out of the three um, advance to the quarterfinals. So essentially the winner of group E, which is Team GB's group, uh, play the best third place teams as well as Group G were the, I'm pretty sure that's, yeah, that's Australia, New Zealand, Sweden, US. So those two groups get to play the best third place teams, whereas Group F, which is Netherlands, Brazil, China, Zambia, have to play the best runner up, up of Group G. Um, so a bit confusing, especially when I'm just saying it out loud and you have to listen to it. But basically Group E and G play third place um, winners, Group F plays runner up of Group G, and then Group E and F play each other runners up. Um, so just write it down on paper and it'll make it easier to follow through. Um, but let's get right into the first group. Group E, Canada, Chile, Team GB, Japan. Of course, the first two matches being Team GB versus Chile, followed by Japan versus Canada. Um, so I think I think we can all agree that this is kind of, Jesse and I spoke about it just a tad bit before, that this is probably the most even group out of the three. Um, you know, maybe not Chile being up there with the same quality as, as Canada, Team GB and Japan, but overall it's a very unpredictable, unpredictable group. There's not really one favorite for the first place of the group. Um, but Jesse, how are you feeling about Team GB? I think the, the really hard thing about this Olympic tournament is it's almost impossible to judge some of these teams because they've played so little and Team GB kind of really epitomizes that. They've played one game against New Zealand, which was behind closed doors. Um, so they won 3-0. But, you know, it's very hard to take anything from that when you, when you can't watch the actual game. Um, I was probably feeling, I've probably got more optimistic about Team GB as we've got closer to the tournament. I don't know whether this is like England doing well at the Euros fever, like maybe making me think, oh, like we don't have to always be an embarrassment as a nation. Um, but, you know, on paper, this is one of the highest quality teams at the tournament, I think, you know, in terms of the players, um, I haven't been that impressed with Hegarisa in both the England interim role and the Team GB role. I feel like she's really had this kind of almost obsession with experience and older players, which I don't think is really tapped into the most exciting elements of what this GB team could be. That being said, you know, they've now had several weeks together, like on and off in, in training camps, you know, that they're in, in Tokyo now. And the additions that have been made from, you know, Scotland and Wales, I think are all good additions. They're not necessarily the ones I would have picked, but, you know, Kim Little and Caroline Weir played that um, preview game against New Zealand. So I don't know if that's an indication that, that maybe they're going to start against Chile. Um, I think the thing that works well for England is, is playing Chile first. Um, you know, that, they are the weakest team in that group. I think it's a good opportunity for them to get into the competition. And, and by virtue of the fact this is such an even group, they've got an opportunity to, I think, you know, find some form in a group that I think they will get out of maybe before they play some better teams, hopefully in knockout stages. So I'm feeling more optimistic than I was. 
Well, I'm sure that first team will probably give Team GB a bit of confidence. Um, but Abdullah, you know, we haven't really talked about Team GB selection after it was made. Obviously, if I remember off the top of the head, I, off my head, I think it's 10 Manchester City players, um, which is quite a lot considering there was only 18 to begin with. Um, and obviously you have Sophie Ingle, Kim Little and Caroline Weir being added to that mainly literally all of the midfield players. Um, but Abdullah, kind of going off the back of the WSL and, you know, I mean, you know, pretty much most of the players on Team GB quite well. What do you think of Hegeriz's selection? You know, I think it's, um, I, I, in some weird way, I think it's a very safe um, lineup. I mean, I mean, every single player that's been picked is really, really good. And um, obviously you can't fault um, who you've been able to bring in. But, you know, in some sense, I don't see anybody here that stands out to me as, oh, you know what? That's a, that's a nice little um, surprise for everybody and, and kind of something that, you know, maybe jumps out a little bit. It's, it's a very safe squad. I think everybody here that's been selected uh, has pretty much... You know, you'd you'd expect them to be there. I think the only thing is um, the goalkeeping situation. I, I think um, you know having the a lot of ex- like the whole back to experience. Why do you need a goalkeeper, second goalkeeper who is probably not going to be playing for you in the next couple of years? Rather give you know maybe someone like a, a Sandy McKeever or someone like that. Uh, I know I know she's there, but like you don't need such an experienced player uh, goalkeeper that you probably bring somebody else who's going to be your future, even if it's Ellie Roebuck who's going to start every game, just as an example. And then the other gripe that I have is to Rachel Daly being considered a defender again. For I don't understand this obsession with that. Um, but besides that, I think it's a pretty safe, uh, pretty safe uh, choice of players. Which I think most people probably wouldn't want safe <laughs> at the moment. Um, but yeah, Jesse, you know, after the past friendly, we talked about, yes, just a disclaimer when we, we're going to talk a bit more about England because obviously the majority of the players are English. Um, a bit, of course, Kim Little, Carolyn, we are so fingal there. Um, but you know, England did play Canada as a friendly not too long ago and it wasn't the best of matches for England. It wasn't the best of matches for Higarise. A lot of criticism around that um, and the style of play and, and the fact that it was, um, yeah, it just it just wasn't good for England and it didn't really look too promising ahead of everything. Um, so Jesse, how do you think Team GB will fare against Canada after that? Yeah, I mean, on the one hand, it's potentially quite good for Team GB. That feels like the one game that they've had, which actually is kind of a relevant preparation for this tournament, you know, being able to play against someone you've, you've played that recently. Um, I was impressed by Canada, but I think what was frustrating in both the Canada and the France game was how, you know, little going forward England had. Um, and then they added a number of ridiculous defensive errors um, within those games. Um, but, you know, the Canada one wasn't like France where it was just felt like England were totally overrun, obviously, by Sandy Baltimore. But I, what I hope is that, and again, this is something that we're just not going to be able to judge until until the games kick off, is that, you know, this time that Hegarista has been able to have that maybe, you know, some of those attacking ideas have been embedded a bit further in the team. You know, this is a team who do have, like, especially going forward, I think the quality of players to to score against any side in this competition, you know, um, when you're looking at, you know, potentially a front three of Hemp, White and, and Paris, or then also Kirby as well, you know, 
I think everyone's, you know, it's a real shame that Chloe Kelly is not, not in the squad because of her injury, obviously, but you know, that's, that's not a front three to be sniffed at at all. So that's what I hope going forward. I do think team GB have the quality to do it, but you know, Canada will have the, feel like they've got the psychological upper hand, you know, especially because their manager, Bev Priestman is the ex-England assistant manager. You know, there's a lot of like quite psychic drama, I think going on in this game, which I think should make it really enjoyable and yeah with with all of the well you know I, I expect GB should hopefully beat Chile but I think both Japan and Canada have the ability to cause GB problems too um, and I think that's what makes this group like so exciting as kind of a neutral yeah and and kind of you know Abdullah I'll bet maybe Chile although I will maybe okay I'm gonna say this about Chile because obviously I need to the thing about us is that obviously we're not this is our first Olympics our first World Cup was like two years ago and I wrote an article for BBC and kind of putting that all together made me realize how much from nothing this team came from um so obviously 2016 we were we dropped we were dropped from fifa rankings because of two years of inactivity um but what's interesting about these players is that they're all it's a pretty old team when you look at the average age um i would say average age just from taking a guess is probably around 10 27 28 um you know Cristian i think she's 30 a lot of the players are have been playing together since 2006 pretty much so obviously we have mentioned Cristiano in it and it's really hard not to when you're talking about Cheetah particularly. Uh, I would go ahead and say she probably is the best woman's keeper in the world at the moment. Um, and the thing for Chile is that that gives us confidence. You know, whatever team you put her in, that gives you security behind to give you the confidence to take those risky attacks, which I think if we didn't have Cristiano there, we definitely would play a lot more defensive than what we do. Um, but having the world's best keeper in between your goalposts gives you that confidence to kind of go forward. And we do have quality. I mean, um, obviously, Francisca Lara, for example, she plays, well, she was playing in France um, in Lejar, and she's going back to Spain. Um, we have obviously Daniela Zamora plays in the Swedish league. Uh, she's done quite well there as well. So we do have a few good players, but I just don't know how they're going to fare against. I mean, they've done well. You know, they played Germany uh, last month. It was obviously not the best of the German side. There was a lot of uh, second team players. But at the same time, you know, uh, Cindy Lohman came on, I'm pretty sure after that. Um, they had a at the second half and it was still nil-nil a lot of the first team players came on and the game still finished nil-nil and obviously it was uh, probably like 80-20 possession to Germany um, but we managed a nil-nil draw against Germany and that says a lot um, and even in the World Cup it was a slim 2-0 uh, loss against the US uh, I mean I'm, I'm sure that we're not going to win against Team GB Canada or Japan uh, but maybe nick a goal you know maybe even hold off a draw um, I wouldn't be surprised but it's it's going to be hard, but I do think that having Cristiano Lera is going to let us unleash a lot of the talent that we have. Um, and it's just a matter of if they can kind of live up to the moment and not get too scared of a big, you know, of Ellen White, Frank Kirby coming up against them. Because um, we do have quality. It's just a matter of, I think a lot of the time, what happens to them is that they get stuck in their own football and they can't play together and they can't actually show off what they're good at. Um so I'm kind of just hoping that they play like they're playing if when they do in Chile because, uh, for example, like Maria Francisca Mardones, best player I've ever played with. She is, her intelligence on and off the ball is just ridiculous. I, I watch her play and I'm just with my mouth like open. I forget I'm on the pitch sometimes. Um, so we have quality. It's just 
this is probably like the worst group that we could have gotten out of the three, which sucks, but it's going to happen. But anyway, um, yeah, you know, Abdullah talking about that, you know, best, probably best group, most entertaining group that we have in this. Um, and should Chile, you know, maybe surprise? They're not, as I said, they're not going to win, but I think they are going to make it hard for a lot of teams that aren't really expecting it. Um it seems like any team can finish top of the group again, maybe not Chile, but overall, um, I think Chile could be the difference of points should someone draw against Chile and then someone win. I think that could be the big difference. Um, so Chile is not going to top the group, but they, I think they are going to make a big difference in terms of final results. Who do you think is the strongest of this group? Yeah, no, I was going to make the same point. You just said that I, while Chile may not finish top of the group, but they're going to be that one team that everyone's just going to be like, you could just cause, you can just kind of mess up the group for some, you could mess up the group for someone just because they could be like three points in and somebody else gets three points and then they draw and the other team wins and then, you know, it messes up one team's, uh, one team's factor. I, I think on paper, obviously, you've got to say Team GP is probably the strongest team in this group by just the virtue of the players that are available to them in every position. But, um, I wouldn't sleep on Canada. I think Canada have a low-key, really, really good squad with like experienced players from and a talented players across the place. I mean, you've got um, you know Ashley Lawrence from PSG. They just won the league. Kadisha Buchanan plays for Leon. You got Jesse Fleming, who's one of the up-and-coming best central midfielders in the world. You know, plays for Chelsea. Janine Becky plays for Man City. Uh, Christine Sinclair is a legend uh, for Canada and for the Portland Thorns. And then, you know, so you've got players within this group that, you know, who could actually cause some issues to probably any team in the tournament. They just, you know, maybe a little bit of luck here and there, but I think they've got the, the quality to go ahead. So I think I would shade it to G- Team GP, but I would not be surprised if Canada came through and, and, um, and, and, and caused a sort of an upset and kind of maybe even top the group because I think they're, one of the most talented teams in the entire Olympics. Yeah, and maybe, you know, we never really thought of Canada of being, they've always had really good players, but I don't think they've ever stepped up to that next level that they have at the moment, especially under Bev. Uh, Jesse, do you think they're going to surprise a lot of people at this tournament? This is kind of their their big, uh, like, debut in, in a very big tournament. Uh, we haven't really seen them after the World Cup. Um, like, not really this big of a tournament after all the work that they've put in. Do you think they're going to surprise a lot of people? Yeah, I, d- I definitely think they have the potential to. I love Bev Priestman. I just think she's so cute. So I really want Bev to do well. Um, but yeah, I think as Abdullah said, you know, they're a very, very talented team. Um, kind of sometimes feels like they're they're always the bridesmaids when it comes to international competition. And, you know, the, the I think their performances this year have been like a kind of funny mix, like at the She Believes Cup, like I thought they were really impressive against the, the US. And, you know, I thought they probably should have won with some better finishing. But then, you know, in some of their other games, they looked like a bit more off the pace. Then, you know, they come play England, they look really good. And then they play some more games where they look a bit off the pace. You know, I think that's probably normal when you've got a new new manager coming in. But, you know, like that even that She Believes Cup game against the US where they just like narrowly lost 1-0, that was even like without Ashley Lawrence, who I would say is probably their best player. Um, you know, Evelyn Vianne's had like a bit of a breakout year having having been in Paris and now, now gone back to the end of WSL. You've obviously got Christine Sinclair who just carries on scoring forever and ever. So, you know, I think that they're, they're a very talented team and I think everything that Priestman's done to them has made them look well-organized, made them look exciting going forward. And I definitely think they're, you know, a threat. I don't think, you know, that's why I think it's kind of good that England did play them because I think 
I would beware any team who wanted to take them lightly for sure, because they've got more than enough like talent to, to hurt you there. And I, I hope they have a good tournament because I think they're a really exciting team. They've got a great mix of young and older players as well. And I think this would be a great kind of, you know, stage, especially for someone like Sinclair, who, you know, as much as we joke, surely can't play forever. Um, so yeah, I, I like them a lot. And I think, I think they will surprise some people. Justice for Jesse Fleming. Always. <laughs> uh, that's going on. That's probably going to go on for the next WSL season as well. <laughs> Very underrated player. Doesn't she plays for some reason she plays better with Canada than she has for Chelsea. Um, probably just a matter of, of years of kind of working together. Cause obviously she's been there since she was like 15. So big part of her life already. Um, but last team in the group is Japan. Um, obviously looking at, you know, women's football history, you can't really write off Japan ever, no matter what, te- like what players they have on the team. Abdullah, is Japan largely underrated in this group? I think a little bit. I think compared to what we're, like for example, Chile, and I think with Japan as well, and even Canada to an extent, if you put any of these three teams in another group, I don't think we underrate them. And I think we put them on par of finishing top, you know, like almost like, yeah, we realistically think they can finish in the in a, a top. But I think because this is almost a sort of group of death with the three, two, three of the best teams and, you know, together, you kind of then look past, then you've got to kind of look at it, you know, with even more detail and say that, okay, you know, who's got the edge here and there I think I think people are sleeping on Japan a little bit while they're not they don't have the team of the one that won the World Cup a few years ago they've still got some decent players I mean Kumga is still you know one of the best center backs and defense midfielders in the world then you've got um Iwabuchi, a pod favorite that's just moved to Arsenal this season now. So I think she's going to, and she's been absolutely insane in, in these last few friendly games. And then, you know, what she showed at Aston Villa. So she's full of goals. And then kind of a, a player that I think people, I don't know if too many people have been watching or sleeping on, but um, Hasegawa, who plays for AC Milan, if I'm not mistaken, she actually statistically has, she's up there in, in the league for, you know, like across different metrics and creative, creative metrics and goal metrics. I mean, and she's um, like if I if I just pull out our quick stats from the season, she has scored three goals and one assist, you know, with one point nine six xg. Which I mean, that's great. You so you got you get you getting you outscoring the number of chances and the quality of chances that you're getting from a midfield position. So if, if a midfielder can contribute three four goals across you know uh, you know six six uh, you know seven hundred minutes, then you're really talking. So there are you know there are players in this in this. Japanese squad that can still really do a job probably you know you, you'd expect them out of Canada and then Canada do a little bit better but then again this this Japanese side has been together longer uh, I would say so uh, you know anything can happen but yeah I think Japan are seriously ones to, to look out. I think what's interesting with Japan is they were quite underwhelming at the, the World Cup I thought but they won the under 20 World Cup in 2018 and we're just now kind of starting to see those players really come through to the the senior team and you know like they beat a Spanish team with like Onabatie, Patri, uh, you know Bomati like they're a, that youth team was a really good side and I think it will be really interesting to see as those players get integrated into a, a more senior setup like what the development of Japanese football looks like especially with they've got this professional league starting so I think it's you know they're obviously also the home nation so although I did research and um, no home nations won a medal at this competition since the USA won gold in 96 so maybe that's a, a bad thing but you know I think 
it's going to be a really, in, I can't really predict which way this is going to be my theme. I can't predict any of these teams, but I think it could be a really interesting tournament for them, especially looking to their like future. And last question for Jesse, talking about little formations. Um, what's your ideal Team GB formation? Obviously, don't put Rachel Daly in, in the defensive line. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I think ideal. You're gonna you're gonna want Roebuck, Bronze. I thought it was interesting that um, Williamson, Leah Williamson, played with Steph Horton rather than Millie Bright, and I think I quite like that. I think Steph and Millie like freak each other out when they play together. Yeah, we've spoken about this before, hasn't? Like even yeah. Leah Williamson, Millie Bright isn't the most ideal matchup either. Yeah, and I, you know, think Leah Williamson is just so good at stepping out of defense, and I think especially against, you know, I would expect like Chile and Japan to be you know, quite conservative mm. and sit back. So I think that's that would be a real asset. And then, yes, I would prefer to play Demi Stokes at left back rather than Rachel Daly, but I expect Rachel Daly will start there. That's where she started uh, against New Zealand in this warm-up game. Um, it's quite interesting. You know, I would I think I would prefer a three of Weir, Walsh, and then one other. I'm not really sure what I want that one other to be. Um, I guess it depends where you play Fran Kirby, isn't it? <laughs> Right. So I think I would prefer probably to go with a front three of Hemp White and play Kirby off the right. Um, I know she's played more centrally for Chelsea this season, but I think she is still very good off the right. She's also played off the right for Chelsea, like in earlier in the season anyway. Um, I personally am not a big Nikita Paris fan. So to me, I, you know, I think she's a great like impact sub, but I wouldn't really be interested in seeing her starting. I think so. that's a pod agreement overall. Yeah, exactly. So it's just kind of that third midfield spot to me. I don't know whether you go with like, I think maybe this is like on a game by game basis, whether you want like Sophie Ingle for for games where maybe you're looking for a bit more defensive stability or also, you know, like Georgia Stanway, maybe I think she I always think she works quite well in the midfield three. I think that's my favorite position to see her play in. So, yeah, I think that's that's probably what what I would personally personally yeah. for as an Arsenal fan Kim Little's always going to be my mid three <laughs> yeah but again that's like just, a funny one as well because I never it, sometimes I just prefer to see her further forward and that's the thing though it depends it depends how she balances off with Caroline Weir in, in terms mm. of what Hege is asking of them because obviously they play a very similar role for clubs in terms of they're that pivot between the six and the ten or the defense and the attack um but anyway I guess we'll see and we'll have a bit more of opinion after the first match but we're going to move on to the next group which is the Netherlands Brazil China and Zambia um first two matches of this group will be Netherlands v Zambia and China versus Brazil um I keep saying the first matches but I think we're going to see the importance of that in the next group more importantly um Abdullah what are you saying about this group uh, what am I saying? I'm just saying that this is the Netherlands coming up top all over it. I mean, there's no, this, I really, without being disrespectful, I don't think there is too much of an issue saying that the Dutch should be top of this group with the quality and the talent that they have. Um, although Brazil obviously have always been traditionally a decently good team, especially in the World Cup. Like a couple of years ago, they did perform really well. They gave France a run for their money uh, and almost beat them. Uh, and they, they only got out, you know, with an Amelie Henri uh, set-piece goal. Um, and, um, but, you know, I think, I think overall, I mean, China and Zambia, I think, um, don't have the quality that the other two have. Uh, but I just think that 
the Netherlands just with the players that they have and, and, and the group B players that they have, I think will be too much for Brazil. I mean, when you've got Champions League winner and, you know, uh, sorry, Champions League winner, but like Champions League level quality players throughout the Dutch squad, um, then, you know, you, you really, you know, you really don't expect much else. Yeah. And I think also Brazil, they're, I think they're going through kind of a transition period from that golden generation to kind of trying to mold the younger players into that same um, kind of level of standard of football and Brazilian football at that. But Jesse, do you think, like, do you agree with Abdullah saying that the Netherlands should probably run away with this group? Yeah, I would expect so. I think it's interesting because they've probably had quite a few, you know, kind of underwhelming results in in the lead up to this. You know, they they drew 3-3 with Canada behind closed doors. They've lost to Spain and Italy. But I think of all the teams, you know, they've probably played some of the hardest games, um, which I also think will suit them. Um, you know, like we're going to come on to talk about America and obviously they're a great team, but like how much can you really learn from like thrashing Mexico a couple of times? Um, I'm sure it's a lot more useful for the Dutch to like have been really tested in that way. And, you know, like they, they've been a great tournament team you know, twice now. I think when they won the Euros, it was all a bit of a surprise. But, you know, to go and then reach the final of a World Cup and, you know, like the US didn't like run away with that match. It was it was close. And I think, you know, Serena Wiegmann's obviously moving on. She's coming to England. To me, this is, you know, she will want to go out on like a big high and they have the, the players to do it. The only thing I worry about is... I think it's easy to want to go out on a big high, but is it how hard is it to keep that momentum going around your squad when you know this kind of cycle is coming to an end? I'm not sure. Um, but yeah, they're they're a quality team. They're an incredibly well-managed team. They've got loads and loads of talented players. So I don't see any team in, in this group causing them an issue. Yeah, I definitely agree. I think we can all kind of collectively do that. Uh, but also, Abdullah, we talk about China and Brazil there, but particularly Brazil, I think. Um, obviously, you can't really write off these teams looking at the history of women's football in general. Um, obviously, China used to have a better team. I think now they've kind of dropped off just a little bit, although they're obviously their sophistication of playing football and, and they're kind of their organization of, of being a team of whole is still there. But Brazil are a great footballing country, you know, no matter what men or women, any person in Brazil, basically. Um, and But we do say that the Dutch do have the better run of form. Obviously, we talked to um, Anne-Marie Postam, which she's a Dutch journalist, and she was kind of happy that the Dutch lost to Spain because she's confident in how Serena Wigman is going to prepare off of that loss. She's like, I'm pretty sure Serena has watched this game every single day since then. Um, and I, I am confident in that, uh, which it could be interesting. But obviously, the Dutch have a better run of form. They have better players and all that, all that stuff. But can experience make a difference here, Abdullah? Yeah, I mean, we've seen it in the past that experience always plays a part in 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 any you know form of the game. Whether you're you know you're chasing a game, whether you're defending a game, whether you're trying to see a game out, game management is always a big topic in football. And I think game management from a holistic perspective of being able to navigate the group and then obviously navigating the games is huge. I mean, when you've got players like Formiga still around, Dabinia's uh, one of the better players in 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 the NWSL. Martha's still around, kind you know, uh, and then you've got there's a couple of players actually. Andresini is another big one, and then there's a you know a couple other players here and there uh, who 
you know, while they may be the experienced heads of, of the team, and this is probably their last hurrah in terms of, you know, these these couple of golden generation players that are left, um, I think you can't underestimate what they're going to be able to do for the younger players around them and may help them be able to uh, navigate through because, you know, you never know, like, if, if they're if they're winning 1-0 or, or they're drawing a game 1-1 and they need that point or they need those three points, your Marthas, your Formigas are just going to be able to know exactly how to navigate navigate themselves throughout the the last 10 15 minutes and um you, you know the the younger players are going to need that more than anything else so i i don't think you can underestimate it i don't think they're going to go too far and win it but you know you can never underestimate the the value of having experience in the squad and being able to uh you know navigate through with that and jesse i think we are confident that the netherlands will top this group um but are you confident that brazil can come up runners up I would expect so. You know, I think China and Zambia have both taken incredibly young teams. They must be the two youngest teams at this tournament, I'd say. And I expect for them, this is more about a look to the future, an opportunity to give younger players game time. And I just think Brazil will probably have too much quality over both those teams. You know, like Abdullah said, like Marcia and Dabini, like these are fantastic players ultimately. And I know sometimes Brazil can be a little bit like they shoot themselves in the depth the foot sometimes but I think you know they should be able to get the upper hand over over China and Zambia but I think it'll be exciting to watch both those teams as well because you know as I said you know very young squads and I think they're you know it'll be really interesting to see who stands out from those those players because from those teams because I think going forward you know we might be seeing more of these teams in the future. So moving on to Group G, Australia, New Zealand, Sweden, USA. And this is where the order of the matches gets a little bit important, um, particularly for Australia, I think. So the first two matches of this group is Australia versus New Zealand, USA versus Sweden. Um, So quite a big first day, I think, for Australia as well. Jesse, I spoke to an Australian journalist um, kind of about the order of which Australia plays their matches at Samantha Lewis, shout out to her. Um, but obviously they play New Zealand first and probably New Zealand and Australia are kind of the two of the worst prepared teams for this Olympics in terms of how the amount of training camps they've had, the amount of matches that they've had. And then it's Sweden, US, which is probably the decider of this group, essentially. Um, but in the particular case of Australia, I asked I asked Sam if it was easier to just kind of get that USA Sweden game out of the way and kind of go to the New Zealand game and she kind of thought that it was kind of the best possible scenario that they play New Zealand first because they get to dip their toes in the water kind of get that confidence up um, I'm sure Australia would should get a, a result against New Zealand but Jesse will that confidence be enough to kind of push Australia against Sweden in the US Oh, I find Australia such a frustrating team because they should be really good. But I mean, you know, they've obviously had this change of manager. They've got Peter Gustafsson, um, who, you know, I think seems like a really interesting guy. But the results so far have just been like quite torturous. The games to watch, the defending has been so haphazard. I have watched Mackenzie Arnold throw the ball into her own net so many times, which is really weird because, you know, I feel like I watched her with West Ham for most of the season and I don't know where all these howlers have come from. Like she's she's often got a bit of a nervy moment, but it feels like when she's playing for Australia, it becomes a new level. 
Um, anyway, I don't think Mackenzie Arnold will even play, but it's been a bit of a strange one to watch. Um, I think they've really struggled with coming up with ideas for what to do when teams just mark Sam Kerr out the game. Um, they don't... And again, it's strange because, you know, like Sam Kerr is going to be attempted to mark out the game like a lot of time. And if you look at Chelsea, for example, the whole point is you use other players kind of as decoys to try and find her space. And Australia have the you know quality of players. If you're looking at Caitlin Ford and Hayley Rasso either side of Kerr, you would expect them to be able to kind of make that movement that's going to draw defenders out of position and give Kerr the opportunity to find those spaces because she's really good at doing that. But it just doesn't really feel like they've quite figured out how to do that and I listened to your conversation with um, Sam it was like the only football podcast I could listen to after the Euros loss I was like fine I'll think about the Olympics Um, moving on (laughs) yeah exactly and you know I thought what she was saying about you know this has kind of been Australia's golden generation and maybe the players younger players coming through aren't quite at the level of some of these current players and I wonder if that's making like a bit of anxiety around like the team itself, like this feeling of like really wanting to make the most of this. And then obviously they've got the World Cup in 2023. And I feel like if they just relaxed a bit more, maybe they'd get some more joy because they're they're a really good team and their players are like all incredibly experienced because they all started playing for Australia when they were like 15 years old. So I think they will probably get one of the third place spots. Um, but I don't see them really being able to do anything to the US or Sweden. Yeah, it is It is frustrating to watch because, as you mentioned there, Jesse, um, kind of, if you do mark Sam Kerr, I think that's just Sam Kerr's role for the national team. Uh, that's been like that forever, kind of the, the tailman of just getting the ball turn and kind of hoping for the best, really. Uh, but then you, you have seen her play with Chelsea, with Pernille Harder, with Frank Kirby, who... Caitlin Ford and Hayley Razzo, as you mentioned, can easily be the Fran, uh, uh, Fran Kirby and Pernille Harder of, of Australia, kind of, especially with Caitlin Ford. She plays with Miedema. It's a very similar situation. Every team tries to tries to mark up Miedema. Miedema maybe does a bit more than Sam Kerr in terms of dropping in and, and kind of being happy with dropping really low and distributing the ball. But Caitlin Ford essentially does the same. She waits, she gives space to Miedema. She finds space herself when Miedema gets the ball because Miedema obviously draws all the defenders to her. Um, Hayley Razo, I think, is a very underrated player in, in the wing, in the midfield. She she makes the runs really well. And when she gets the space, when she drags play out of the position, then she's really good at making that one pass um, to kind of split players. But I do agree that it's a bit frustrating, especially you have Steph Catley as well. You know, she's back and she's probably one of the best attacking fullbacks in the game when she's at her best game. So I do agree that is it is really frustrating to watch Australia because of the quality of the players and the players have been playing together forever. And yeah, I do agree that maybe they need to kind of take the pressure off. I think having hosting the World Cup is adding a little bit of pressure to them because I think they feel like they need to perform really well in their home nation, which is understandable. Um, but I think this Olympic tournament, as we mentioned for one of the teams before, is that it's more important for the future rather than getting an immediate result this tournament. Um, So obviously they're going to want to get as far as possible, but I think at the end of the day, it's about what they're taking out of this tournament in preparation for the, for the, uh, the world cup. Um, So they, I think they do, maybe they need to relax a little bit and kind of just do what they know how to do, which is, 
pretty good when you look at the players having played together forever, the experience, and then the younger players hopefully naturally start adding, start kind of incorporating themselves into that that style. Um, but Abdullah moving on to a different nation, um, Sweden, which obviously again Magda Eriksson favorite of the pod obviously who isn't um a very underrated nation at the moment in my opinion um obviously they did beat the u.s in the last olympics in the quarterfinal um and penalties Kristen press missed her penalty it's still the saddest moment um ever washer so sad so 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 sad i felt so bad um but essentially you know they did go on to the final um though they did lose to germany but still they beat the u.s went to the final and and you know that that's a big deal when you're looking at the hype that the u.s is getting especially at the moment um you know not saying anything but you know some people think seem to think that the olympics is too easy for the u.s um which looking at the, the history in the last olympics shouldn't really be be said right now especially when sweden ran the u.s close um not too long ago so sweden very underrated nation in terms of uh you know footballistic wise it's a lot of high quality players younger players they just they're molding really well and they're at their peak i think at the moment um but what are you saying about the swedes and and this tournament in particular Probably my favorite squad of the entire of all the Olympic teams, just because I see there are underrated players across the squad of which people don't really think of when you think of like, all right, can you name top five in X position? You're probably not going to think of too many Swedes in that in that in that category. I feel like there are a few players that are there that can do really really well, and there are players that are actually been showing in the last couple of seasons that you know they are um, they are they are doing well. And they are getting moves out of uh, out of Scandinavia into into mainland Europe, you know, into like you know the other parts of the top European teams. Um, I mean, if I, if I just look at the squad that I have in front of me, you've got players like uh, Hannah Glass, amazing for Bayern Munich up there. Obviously, Magda Eriksson. We've so we've talked enough. Eilishted, uh, uh, if I've said that wrong, I'm, I'm sorry, but she's just got to move to to, to PSG. Uh, Sager's another massive player. Anvergaard's got to move to Everton. Aslani's a world class forward for Real Madrid. Uh, Herzig's another big one. Blomqvist, Jakobsen, Blackstenius. I mean, Rolfo is another one. Even the goalkeeper, goalkeeping wise, you got uh, Lindahl and Sovic, who's you know who are up there. So this team has quality. Jan Anderson's another one at left back. You've literally got so much quality from top to bottom that you can't underrate the squad. I mean, and their results lately have been all right. They've been good. So they beat Poland four two. They beat Norway one nil. Okay, fine. They drew to Australia. Australia recently, which is fine that that happens. But before that, they had the recent one-one friendly draw back in April. Which, if you looked at the 90 minutes of that game, Sweden deserved that win. The United States got a penalty late on, which, um, which all things said and done, was 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 a little bit harsh on uh, a little bit harsh on the Swedes. So I, I think overall, this team is has has so much quality, and and they've actually even got some good. Um, they've got tactically, they're they're pretty good because. 
is they can they can keep switching. They've played a 4-4-2 this year 30% of the time. They've played a 3-4-3 20% of the time, and they played a 4-1-3-2 system 17% of the time. So it, it, it's not there's not too much either side of that. So you actually find it a little bit unpredictable as well in terms of the system they can come up with. So one game they're playing 4-4-2, but then if they need to switch it up and to really counteract another team, they're going to play a 3-4-3 or they can play a 4-1-3-2. And in each of those systems, they've got the perfect players to be able to fit that system and, and go from there. So I think I think Sweden, um, I don't know if you'd consider them a dark horse, um, but I, I, would, I would put them up there as my within my top two or three I put them in the top two to win it the the whole thing I think I think that's how far they can go I and I wouldn't put it past them to win this group because I, I think they're one of the one of the two maybe three teams in the world that can that can actually beat the US at their best so that's that's my take I think you'll consider Sweden a dark horse if you still think that the US are unbeatable <laughs> No, no, I don't think they're unbeatable. I just think that at their best, they're obviously really, really good. But I think this Swedish team is um, one of those teams that could actually go on and 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 beat them without without us going and you know without us going and saying, oh, you know what, that's a surprise result. I I actually think they can go, they can beat them even at the US at their best. That's the yeah. point I'm trying to make. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, you know, I guess we we, we kind of have to talk about the U.S., don't we? Because they're in the group, <laughs> Jesse. Um, you know, we've talked about all the top teams, and essentially, you know, the the Olympics is the best teams of each continent in the world. But essentially, the the top teams at the moment would definitely be in Europe. Um, I'll bet the the U.S. Um, obviously, Australia, New Zealand. Uh, you know, Japan. Actually, Japan could definitely be in there. But when you compare Japan even to the top uh, European sides at the moment, um, they're still probably a step lower than that. Um, but Jesse, where do you see the U.S. compared to other top teams? We talked about. You know, essentially, the U.S. is still going to be the U.S. until they're not. Uh, but where do you see them in this very moment with the squad that they have as well? Yeah, I think they probably are the favorites for the Olympics, but you know, with the caveat that I think there are plenty of teams that can run them close. I think the U.S. mentality is just like overwhelmingly powerful. And this is a squad, you know, the majority of the squad won the World Cup. And we know how obsessed Americans tend to be about winning anyway. And they're going to carry that into this tournament. I think what's interesting, and I don't know how much is playing into it is, it's quite an old team. I wonder if we'll see a very different team, you know, when we get to 2023, because, you know, you're looking at press, Heath, Morgan, Rapino, Lloyd, they're all in their thirties. Um, and, you know, even I was thinking about like exciting players from the U S and I was thinking of like Christy Mewis, but she's also 30. She just hasn't really played for the U S before. So I think the problem with that is whilst those are all very good players, I do think more and more teams will feel like they've got a handle on how those players play and what they're like. You know, I feel like the Netherlands will feel like that. I feel like Sweden will feel like that. You know, I think even GB could feel like that. Ultimately, you know, these are all teams who have either beaten or pushed the US like quite close in competitive environments over the past couple of years. Um, but, you know, it's going to be interesting as well. It's Blacko Andonovsky's first international tournament. So there's going to be like a little bit of pressure there too. Um, it's really funny because 
you know, generally like I'll watch the US play and, you know, I watch like quite a lot of NWSL, but, you know, when you're looking at teams, you kind of often want to look at like local journalists and what they're saying to get a feeling like for, for how people feel. But the funny thing is, is like US journalists tend to be so high on this side that I'm like, are they genuinely that good? Or is it just like the, the US people love, love the, the team, which I get, you know, they're a very good side, but you know, every side has weaknesses. And I, I think this US side has, has plenty, but they, they will obviously go into the, the tournament as favorites. And rightly so, you know, if, if the Netherlands have won the world cup, they should probably go into the tournament as, as favorites. That's, that's the way these things work. So, yeah, I think, I think they're beatable. Definitely. Yeah, I think that's a pretty good way to say it. Uh, as I mentioned, you know, whether you want the U.S. to win or not, I think there's no denying the quality and, and the history of they have, you know, obviously winning back to back World Cups. Like you can't you can't deny that and you can't like brush that off just so easily. Um, but it is interesting. Yeah, it is a very old squad. And I would go on to say that Tierna Davidson is probably the youngest on that squad and she's 22. Um, just looking at the roster right now, I, I just off the top of my head, I would assume so. Roosevelt is already, yeah, Macario um, as well, yeah. So it's it is a very old squad. Um, I hope Carly Lloyd isn't listening to this because then she'll probably have a go at us as well for calling her old. Uh, but essentially, it is it is it is going to be interesting to see how kind of the end of the cycle, um, whether it's close to the end than maybe they think it is. Um, Because obviously, you know, they are beatable. I think, as Jesse mentioned, that a lot of teams have run the U.S. close by now. It's getting pretty common. It's not just, you know, a one-off game that somebody has a really good game against the U.S., but it's consistently happening. You know, Spain have done it. um, England have done it. The Netherlands have done it. Sweden have done it. It's getting pretty consistent. Um, So I would assume that, you know, someone soon is going to take the next step and kind of just beat the U.S. just flat out. Um, So we'll see whether it's this tournament. We'll see whether it's in a friendly. We'll see when it is. But it should be close. And Abdullah, you know, focusing on this tournament, um, obviously Sweden and the U.S. are kind of in the same group. Um, So should once the U.S., which is it's probably given that the U.S. are definitely going to get out of the group stage. Once we get into the knockout stages, what team do you think could be the one to knock out the U.S.? Well, obviously, I can't pick Sweden because they're in the same group. So <laughs> I'm just going to call Sweden to beat them in the group itself. So putting that aside, weirdly enough, okay, so I think there's two, obviously the other two teams that are obvious, but I think for different reasons that they can beat them. I think Team GB can beat them just because of the quality of players that they have. Like Jesse said, we've not been too impressed with Hegarisa's way of managing the squad and everything. But I think from the quality of players, Team GB can beat them on paper. But I think the Dutch have the better chance of beating them because I think Serena would have learned from um, would have learned from the World Cup final. You know, they, 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 I mean, they weren't bad, but they, but they just, the US was just a step better. And I think learning from the World Cup and learning from, you know, previous tournaments, I think this squad of players is still very, very good. So for me, I think it's the Dutch that can knock them out unless, uh, you know, I, I mean, if, if Sweden meet them in the final or something, you know, for later, later on in the, in, in the group, then fine. But I think the Dutch are the only other team that I think can really beat this U.S. team. Yeah, I think that's fair to say. And, and Jesse, this is obviously a really hard group to predict, uh, mostly in terms of that top that top two. And then as well, do you think Australia can be one of the the best um, third place teams in the in the tournament? Um, so yeah, what do you, what are your predictions for this group? Um, I don't know if I believe this, but I want to speak it into existence that Sweden will beat the U.S. and Sweden will top this group. 
Um, so I think Sweden will come top, US will come second. I do think Australia will probably get through as a best um, third place side. You heard it um, first, folks. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, what is it when you when you say stuff so it happens? That's what I'm trying to manifest here. And I think what would be really interesting if that does happen is that uh, the US would likely then face the Netherlands in the first knockout game, which I just think would be so tasty. So I want it to happen for like the tournament enjoyment because that would be such a great quarterfinal matchup. But yeah, I'm, I'm saying it. I think Sweden are, are ready, are ready to take them out again at the Olympics. And Magda Eriksson, we believe. Absolutely. <laughs> um, so... We've we've kind of gone group for group, but now we're gonna we're gonna jump to the end of the tournament and have our medalist predictions. Uh, Abdullah, we'll go with you first. Uh, what are yours? Uh, all right, Sweden to take the gold medal. <laughs> I'm back in Sweden all the way. I'm going Sweden gold medal. I'm going uh, Netherlands silver medal, and then I'm probably gonna go Team GB with the bronze. Whoa, just leaving the US completely out. I don't know if a lot of other listeners will be okay with that. Bold <laughs> predictions for, for, for the party. You know, we're back after three months. The manifesting of just fight. putting it in the air. Exactly. And hopefully, it gets Gotta to Tokyo. It- <laughs> <laughs> all right, Jesse, what are yours? <laughs> Yeah, I'm going to go similar, but I'm going to say the Netherlands to win gold, the Sweden to win silver. And I'm just trying to figure out who would play, who I think would play who. But yeah, I'll go GB bronze too. I think what's really exciting about this Olympics, I don't know if players feel like this, but you know, in like, okay, the Euros, they don't have a third place match. The World Cup, they have one, but no one cares about it. I feel like at the Olympics, it's like, the fact is, if you get to a semi-final, you get a chance to play for a medal regardless and I think that feels like to me like a really exciting incentive which I think is a lot harder to like have in like world cup tournaments when you don't have that so I'm really looking forward to it but yeah I think uh, the Netherlands to to beat Sweden having knocked out the US in the quarterfinals because the US have come second in their group (laughs) that is true I think I think I agree with Jesse actually I think um, as good as Sweden are I think the Dutch can edge um, Sweden just a little bit uh, in terms of quality of players you know when Miedema gets mad Miedema gets mad and I don't think anybody wants to go against the mad Miedema because she just kind of puts her head down and just does impossible things basically um, I think as well Liki Martens has been in her best form in a while and I don't think there's any stopping her either um, and then obviously you have uh, Shaki Grunin who's always going to be good but on top of that Serena Wigman I, I think um, if they get to semi-final and they, if they get to the final, I think the fact that Serena, Serena Vigman is leaving might give the players an extra push. Um, and obviously that emotional push can be the difference sometimes in, in terms of motivation and, and wanting to win a tournament. Um, and I think also think Serena Vigman's preparation to go up against teams is unmatched, I think, in this tournament in terms of managers. Um, so I, I actually do agree. I think the Dutch will edge Swedish, Sweden uh, Sweden to go for silver and bronze. I don't know how confident I am. Should it be like Team GB USA in a bronze medal match? I don't know if I'm that confident in Team GB, if I'm being honest. I think, I think I- um, from my predictions, I think it would be Team GB Canada. From who I think would get, I think the four semi finalists would be Sweden, GB, Netherlands, and Canada. Oh, Looking at the central match, <laughs> well, no, because I'm I'm working. Well, no, because we're logic saying the US is is leaving from the Netherlands they, when they come up runners up. If they come in the second, yeah. Oh, okay. In, okay, fine. In that, if that's if okay. the US win the group, 
I think they will they will at least be in the final. Yeah, because yeah, it's enough, a much easier enough. thing. Basically, whoever comes second in Group G will probably have to play the Netherlands, which I just think yeah. is going to be a really that's a really tricky quarterfinal. Yeah. yeah, so either Sweden enough. and the US are out in that at that stage already. I, um, I'd expect so. Yeah. So one of us is going to be correct. Pretty <laughs> 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 soon. Basically, if it's Team GP Canada, I, w- I would give the edge to Team GP mostly yeah, just because yeah, the quality sure. of players. It will be it will be a good match though. I wouldn't be surprised if it goes to penalties. Um, but it should be good. So those are our predictions and we're going to wrap up the episode there. Um, it was fun being back. I missed this. Uh, but we hope that you enjoyed this episode of Box to Box Tokyo 2021 edition. Um, the WSL season is starting soon. It's just around the corner. Um, and even pre- preseason is starting even sooner than we think, obviously with Arsenal-Chelsea on August 1st. Um, should be a good amount to talk about, even though obviously the Olympic players won't be in the squad just yet. Um, but I think Chelsea and Arsenal have enough of other players that are going to be interesting to watch in that game. Um, so hopefully we'll be back consistently relatively soon. Um, but do follow our official Twitter account at BoxToBoxWSL to keep up to date with all information and updates on the podcast and when we're going to be recording next. Um, our individual Twitter handles are on there as well because sometimes we have interesting stuff to say off the pod as well. Um, but we will see you soon. And thank you for listening, everyone. Cheers, guys. See you later.